0: Welcome to the newest edition of the SSC Europe podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Curtis Hobbs about his life and ministry in uh, the U.S. and Europe and talking with him about what it means to deal with conflict in ministry. I know you're going to have a great time. We're going to get right to it, talking with Curtis now. And we're here today talking with Curtis Hobbs. I'm glad you could be with us, Curtis. I'm looking forward to hearing you. Uh, about you and our, our topic today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah,
1: it's great to be with you. Enjoyed the other
0: podcast so far. Awesome. I got somebody, some, some feedback there. So Chris, we like on the podcast to try to find out a little bit about um, your background, what um, your story is. And although we've known each other for, I'm guessing this is like 16 years now, um, yeah, I don't know that I would even know your um you know, story of how you came to Christ or any of that background. So can you just maybe share with me and with us um, your life growing up, maybe what, um, what happened in your life that brought you to a relationship with Christ and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes it connects small groups or prayer weekend prayer times. We, we don't have time to do a lot of that. But yeah. uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. I went to church regularly. Uh, Really, the most formative thing was when I was three, I uh, was diagnosed with asthma, and that kept me from doing sports and a lot of other things, pets or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But going to church, I was in a Pentecostal church. We believed in healing, had multiple times of prayer for my healing, and Mm -hmm. I prayed oftentimes with God that he would heal me. Uh, I remember in, I was like in fourth grade, we went to a healing conference, some uh, healing minister had come through our town and uh, I stood and it, I was too afraid to go forward, but I stood to receive healing. It was the mm-hmm. first time I ever felt God's presence personally. Wow. I had been, you know, in services where it was around me, but mm-hmm. uh, that was really formative. I was like 10 years old at that time and um, God just made himself big that the unfortunate thing is i wasn't healed at that moment and uh so that was kind of a test of my faith in a way Um, Mm. but then i remember being filled with the spirit uh when i was 14 at a youth camp and uh that next weekend was father's day weekend we had gone fishing up in the mountains and i had one of the worst asthma attacks i'd ever had and uh, uh, I said, God, you can fill me with your spirit. You can heal me with this asthma too. And uh, He did, and I wow. had relief from asthma for uh, the next nine years. Wow! And uh, that was that was really a huge blessing in my life, and mm-hmm. uh, it it built my faith a lot in God. And uh, during that time, I you know was involved in church and youth group and those kind of things. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I went to university, uh, that was uh, a time in my life when I knew a bunch of people from various things, from youth group and stuff like that. But at my community college, there hadn't been a Chi Alpha. So I got involved with InterVarsity. Mm -hmm. Then when I went to the University of Wyoming, uh, I knew people that were in Chi Alpha and I knew people that were in InterVarsity. So my first year, I went to both groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the end of the first semester, I had done so much fellowshipping and ministry things that my grades suffered, and uh, I had to be put on academic probation. Wow. (laughs) So that's not a really good uh, (laughs) campus ministry testimony. That's not an advertisement for campus (laughs) ministry. (laughs) Uh, But it was kind of the thing that God was doing. We were a student-led Chi Alpha at that time, and there was a staff worker within Varsity, and... Um, We just were all praying for uh, God to bring a full-time campus pastor to Chi Alpha. And uh, at the end of that first year, all four of the leaders that were supposed to be leading the next year for various reasons, uh, getting married, going to Bible school, dropping out of college or whatever, Mm -hmm. we were kind of a hodgepodge group. But uh, I got asked to be the leader by our national our district leader and uh i said yes and it's kind of funny because you you start praying for something to happen Mm -hmm. and never really think you're going to be the answer to your own prayers that way right uh but so then my first uh, semester of leadership in kai alpha i realized how bad of a leader i was and Mm -hmm. how much conflict i avoided and everything and so that next summer i went to a uh kai alpha uh leadership training. It's similar to connect and, uh, God got my heart there. And so I went back to the university with tons of ideas and, uh, I still wasn't committed to being the first campus pastor at the university of Wyoming at that point. Um, but to finish my, uh, bachelor's degree, I had to do student teaching and, uh, I went to Frankfurt, Germany, and I was teaching, doing my student teaching there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, for military kids,
0: Okay. and
1: uh, every, the, at that time, uh, there was a lot of U.S. military personnel in Germany, mm-hmm. and so every weekend, I would uh, take my papers, and I would grade papers on Friday nights, train rides, wherever we were going around Europe. And then Sunday afternoon, I, on my way back, I would write my lesson plans for the next week mm-hmm. and uh, got to see a lot of Europe that way. But uh, uh, I had been told that John and Anita Koschel were in Munich and were doing student ministry. So I met them
0: okay.
1: and I. Uh, the crazy thing was that when I walked into their house, there was this uh, fragrance odor smell that I I could smell that it just reminded me of home. And I had been, you know, in in Europe for several months at that time. Uh And uh, it was like, wow, missionaries are normal people. (laughs) And uh, I think Anita had baked like strawberry shortcake or something like that for dessert that night, but it just was a, a fragrance of home. And it gave me some peace about, Things and uh, so meeting John, you know, uh, he was challenging about, you know, what am I doing with my life and where am I going from here and mm-hmm. things. And uh, then uh, it was really cool at the end of my student teaching. Uh, I had left like three weeks from the end of student teaching until I had to fly back to the States. Okay. And uh, at that time, John and Anita were doing fill the gap uh, teams, and so I joined a team from. Uh, Seattle, the University of Washington, mm-hmm. another UW, and we uh, we went up to Hamburg and we did outreach there for a week, and then we went down to Munich and did outreach there for a week, and okay. uh, before that was a uh, uh, John always did a, they had, John Anita had a retreat to kind of get people over jet lag and a little bit of orientation and in. Mm-hmm. and uh, so that was a Pretty significant time for me, but kind of in between those two times, uh, there had been some of the people that I had met when I did my Chi Alpha training uh, that were coming over to do Fill the Gap first part. And uh, I had met them at the airport and got them on trains because the school was right where the International Airport is now. And uh, I was traveling in uh, Switzerland with a couple of my colleagues that weekend, and I met them, and so I jumped on the train and I just rode with them because I had a Euro pass, rode with them back a couple hours. And I got off of the train in Salzburg to make my connection back to Frankfurt, mm-hmm. and I had like an hour and a half. So I walked to the gardens, and as I'm walking back from the gardens to the train station, I could maybe take you to that stoplight even today. Yeah, the thought went through my head you're going to be back here someday. Wow. And immediately it was like, I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher and I knew I wasn't going to be a tourist, but that I would be a missionary. So, Curtis- so because, Call to Missions in Salzburg? In Salzburg. You guys uh, don't know how often I've prayed for Salzburg that way, for sure. Well, so then because of the relationships with John and Anita, I went back to the States and uh, I taught for one year. And then I did an internship with Chi Alpha and then went back to the University of Wyoming Mm -hmm. um, to be the first Chi Alpha director there. Wow. I was there 14 years. But every couple okay. of years, so even with my internship in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, with Harvey Herman, we had to do a missions trip. So I went back to Germany because that's where I had relationships. Sure. And um, so did a couple of different trips, uh, especially to Cologne with Amy Anderson, taking teams there. And it was good for our student ministry and I hope it was good for, you know, the SFC yeah. group as well. But that was really kind of the beginning, and I had told John and Anita about that experience in Salzburg, and uh, so uh, I got married to Sarah in 1993, and in 1995 we we took a, another group of students uh, to come to Europe, and again we were back in the Cologne Bonn area doing okay. stuff, and um, so. On that trip, it was like, you know, God, is this the time? Is this the time? Sarah was pregnant with Beth, and uh, and it was no, and so it's just kind of a question mark about that. But Sarah, you know, it's kind of her first trip to um Europe. Uh, but in 2000, uh, we both felt like now's the time we had okay. gone to um assault conference and uh felt like God was releasing us from it, so uh from Wyoming. And uh, we we started talking, you know, to John and Anita again, John had come out to talk to our group, our student group that year. And uh, we were talking and he says, you know, Poland and Russia, Poland or Russia, those are the two places where um, we really need student ministry right now. And uh, I said, well, you know, Sarah's Polish in ancestry. he says, well, you've got to go to Poland. And so that next year, um, Sarah was going to take a, a group of students and go to Poland, or she was just going to go to Poland with a, there was a campus minister kind of a um, finding out kind of tour going on. And I was going to take a group of students and go to Russia. Well, as things happened, both of those trips uh, evaporated. And so, Sarah and I both went with some group of students to Poland. And like within the first week, she is like, this is home. You know, all you know, my heritage, it feels like home. So we came back and we prayed. And um, then we start filling out the applications to, to go with, with missions. And we did this separately. And on my application, I put Austria because I had been in Austria. Uh-huh. And when I heard, you know, you'll be back here someday. And Sarah writes Poland. And so, you know, at every level of your interview process, it's like, you know, we don't do that. You have to <laughs> choose one, choose one the country other. <laughs> for the couple. <laughs> so, no, I want to go to Europe. And so, um, but the, you know, what's, as I think about it now, it's like, why in the world did I never try to take classes in German? They had plenty of them at the university of Wyoming. Um, <laughs> and that would have been a smart thing to do. And I didn't, um, too busy in ministry and life or whatever, but, um, in the end, uh, Greg Mundus was the regional director, and he and Sandy in their office. And I just, I said, kind of told him this story, you know, he says, because you can't do both. And I said, well, which one's most strategic? And without blinking, at that point in 2001, he says, Poland. So we went to Poland. And I realized that, um, you know, that was a call to uh, Europe, that God, that's how God was getting me to lean towards Europe, and that Poland was just uh, a step along the way. The cool thing is that where we lived in Kraków, um, it was also part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And so mm-hmm. I was in Poland, but I was part of the Austrian part. So oh, okay. um, we were uh, 14 years doing student, Students for Christ in Poland okay. um, before we came to Bosnia three years ago. Okay, So now uh, it's been different. So.
0: So what is life like now in Bosnia? Just give us a picture of what you've been up to or what, what things are going on. Cause it seems, uh, you know, here are little bits and pieces, but I'd like to hear what, what's going on with you there.
1: Yeah. So Bosnia is really different. Uh, it, it's been really impacted by the war that was here mm-hmm. in the mid nineties. And uh, Sarajevo, the city where we live was under a siege for four years. And wow. uh, so uh, the evangelical church that we work with was basically formed uh, out of that. Okay. Uh, our pastor was saved during the war. Okay. Uh, and so several of the pastors now have been pastor. There's uh, 10 churches in the organization that we work with, 1012. Okay. Um, and almost every one of those pastors became a Christian during the war. Wow. And uh, received training um, at the Bible school here in Bosnia or in Osijek in Croatia. Okay, and um, so uh, all of their church growth happened then. A lot of people who were saved it was right at during the war, right after the war. Okay, and uh, the then a lot of people left. A lot of those Christians wow. went yeah. west. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of been an attrition that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just as there was after the war, many uh, evangelical missionaries coming into Bosnia to try and minister to humanitarian mm-hmm. work and things like that. Uh, the Islamic side has also had its uh, evangelization, if you could say it that way, Sure, uh, where um, a lot of uh, Arabic and um Middle East, Qatar, um, those countries have come and I- Iran invested a lot of money and uh, time into evangelizing the Muslims. And so Bosnia is 51% uh, Bosniak, which is the Bosnian uh, form of Islam. Okay. Uh, it's, it's probably more secular than most of the Arabic um, speaking Islamic world. Okay. But... Uh, you know, kind of as a result, uh, the calls to prayer are heard throughout the day, where mm-hmm. during the um, communist era, there was no religious freedom that way. And so there were mosques, there was cathedrals, there were of Orthodox and Catholic. But, you know, people weren't really encouraged or uh, didn't practice their religion a lot. So um, now there's a lot of religion um and on all three sides and the ethnicity is very tied to your religion so if you're a Bosniak, right. you're a muslim if you're a orthodox serb you're a you know you're orthodox and if you're a croatian catholic you are catholic so right. uh, the war is kind of actually it's conflict and we're going to talk about conflict today but that conflict is actually polarized mm-hmm. the ethnicities and so talking about religion is a Um, kind of a touchy thing sometimes because it's so tied to your ethnicity. And so if a a young person is, you know, talking to a Christian friend or missionary or somebody like that, uh, the parents, family can get very nervous about that. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's very challenging uh, in these, these days to, to know how to go about evangelism and things like that. Uh, And student ministries where my heart still is, uh, but when we came here, um, both university and crew had been in the country and a part of the evangelical church uh, since the end of the war. And so, they they, the church believes in student ministry, and they're part of it. Uh, actually, one of the humanitarian organizations out of Great Britain um, is called Novimost, and they were created. Uh, Initially to do humanitarian work, but then they realized that reaching young people was the the real key to do it. And so uh, they have several groups and and people uh, working full time with young people. And uh, so we realized that Students for Christ right now is not the strategic time, Mm -hmm. but we're going to build relationships with the organizations that are here And serve them. And at at the right time, when God brings the right people, and uh, we've gained the trust of the the national movement, uh, we will see student ministry happening with SFC variety (laughs) anyway. Awesome. So we're helping InterVarsity, especially um, doing different things and uh, encouraging them to reach students. Yeah. Have you guys had to learn the language again, too, though, and all that, too? Uh, Or is it? Yes, we have. And, and now we're older. I mean, I was 40 when we went to Poland and okay. now I'm 57 trying to learn Bosnian and thankfully it's a Slavic language. Right. But so Polish has helped. But when I try to speak Bosnian, Polish comes out. And when I'm trying to speak uh, Polish, uh, Bosnian comes out instead of Polish. So yeah, it's uh, quite frustrating.
0: It's I can imagine my, um, our, our oldest is in a m- multilingual school now, Ethan, and he has um you know, German and English and he's super excited. He gets to add Chinese this year and uh, you know, and in two years he gets to add Latin and then French. And I'm like, my poor Americans for my uh, four years of high school, German, when I was the outlier. I was the weird one, you know? So yeah. uh, I'm like, Oh man, what have been like to learn all those languages younger when I was 12 instead of
1: just to do something to your brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I can't imagine learning another language right now either, sure, No, but, uh, who knows, who knows? Yeah. So, um, we said we would talk about, um, conflict and, um, neither one of us said that we're an expert, right? You're not nope. an expert in dealing with conflict. Neither am I. Um, we did say that, um, that we talk about though anyway, because it was an interesting subject and I think it's really crucial for us uh, doing student ministry across Europe as part of SFC. There are times when conflict comes up and we have to figure out where do we go from here. And uh, so maybe you just tell me like a little bit of your experience in dealing with conflict or what um, what that's been like for you
1: uh, in ministry. Yeah. So I think I'd like to title this Confessions of a Conflict Avoider uh, because I I hate conflict and I've tried to avoid it since I was a child and I get a knot in my stomach and a lump in my throat when I sense conflict. And, you know, if I can avoid it, I will. Uh Um, Being in ministry, uh, being in relationships, being married, you know, raising kids, conflicts unavoidable. Yeah. I I can't say I'm good at it, but I have grown to learn or grown to understand that uh, conflict's going to happen and you can either avoid it or you can work it. And Mm. uh, so as much as I avoided, you know, there's certain times um, when you just can't. And so um, it's a reality of life. Yeah, uh, for sure.
0: Um, are there some, uh, examples you would share with us of conflict that you would say, ah, oh, this is like the thing that keep kept coming up the same issue. And or I didn't, I ha- eventually had to deal with it. Is there anything you could share with like an example to get us head that direction or, um, maybe no, you know, avoiding any, uh, distinguishing marks or, or names or places you don't want to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, maybe two two stories. One uh, one thing that was really formative for me in my early years of student ministry is my third year uh, at the University of Wyoming. Uh, we we had a, a you know you're, the first of the year is always a really key time, and I don't know how people are going to do it with COVID this year. You know, how do you do all of those beginning of the year activities where you meet people? But yeah. we had a, a gal come in. She was a non traditional student, 25 or 26. And um, she, uh, she said she was a Christian. She had come to our church and t- she was getting involved in our student group. Um, but the fourth week after the first round of tests, she came in to, we had our group on Friday night. She came in, she, um, was wearing headphones, listening to music, and I just, you know, asked, you know, what are you listening to, and how's your week? She says, oh, well, I had tests; they didn't go well. I'm listening to Guns and Roses, and it's like, huh. So it's like, is that helping? You know, just, you know, trying to make like mm-hmm. conversation or whatever. Well, um, that that night, she went home and committed suicide. Wow. And um, so there's like, you know what? This is, this is the very thing we're trying to be on campus for is to prevent that and feeling like such a failure. And mm-hmm. um, that just created a, I mean, a lot of conflict within me with God wow. about calling about wow. at that time and stuff like that and just feeling like such a failure. And um, my pastor uh, had more experience in dealing with death and these kind of things, and he had actually called the the gal's mom and just uh, this like two weeks later Mm -hmm. and just asked her how she was doing and stuff like that. And in his conversation with her, just in reaching out to her, found out that this gal had been bipolar Mm. and she hadn't been taking her medication during the week of her exams. He also found out that she'd actually been in prison for drugs. And that, uh, so she had a really hard Time with police, and that week she had also had an encounter with the police in um, this university town where she had just moved, and so it was wow. like, you know, the stress of your first exams, the stress of not doing well, the stress of uh, having an encounter with police that you don't trust anyway, and uh, wow, and then the you know the student group that's nice that's there, but that early in the year you haven't had time to build deep relationships yet. Right. so you know that was kind of a personal conflict that um mm. that really kind of impacted me in in a way with God okay. uh and then uh, then there was another conflict that was with a student leader uh over being in leadership or not mm-hmm. uh the decision was that they they wouldn't be in leadership the next year uh, but they thought they should be in the you know the process so yeah. that was really uh a, a difficult Um, conflict and uh, it, it, you know, I was, as a conflict avoider, I was really, I wanted to keep the relationship and, you know, the group was for this leader. It wasn't um, for me as a, the, the, you know, campus pastor kind of thing. So we, uh, we formed a group, kind of a task group to, to, Look at our process and how we were choosing leaders, how we were affirming leaders, mm-hmm. how we were um, renewing leadership, and those kind of things. And um, you know, I can't say that the relationship with this leader is great today. Um, mm-hmm. We're not friends on Facebook, okay. partly because they're not on Facebook, but okay. just you know, there's just there's no, not like there's not relationship there relationship. now. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, I felt like we we did as much as we could to keep the relationship and to grow through the experience as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And okay. so, um, you know, someone said, uh, and I should have Googled it to see, but there's no change without conflict. Mm. And, uh, so there's, there's some things that probably do need to change. And, um, I think that one of the things within SFC that's meant the most to me, like with Connect and Prayer Weekends, is the fellowship and the camaraderie that we have with one another because of our shared passion for reaching students and things like that. Um, but one of the other things is just the value that SFC or Paths for continuing education. Mm-hmm. So I see conflict as one of those places where we can continue to grow. And so… right. Um, the result of this gal's uh, suicide on my part was that I um, was able to get into a graduate program, uh, in child and family studies, kind of looking at some of the dynamics that go behind people and things like that. Uh, um, that's a whole nother story and God's provision and, and things like that. But uh, it, it also put me on a path with. SFC where I believe in continuing education that helps us stay in a growing and learning mode like our students are. And, you know, nowadays we can take online classes. There's, there's all kinds of ways to keep our um, intellect and our ministry approaches sharpened. Okay. So that, that's something that I think conflict provides for us is is an opportunity to keep learning change, and grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So, Did you say there was a third story or did I miss it? (laughs) No, I, I, yeah, I'd have to get too personal to go into that now. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, um, what has, um, you have lots of, of opportunity to avoid conflict. What have you learned through those situations or what have you learned? Um, maybe some ways to deal with conflict when you have learned to avoid it less and less, maybe over time.
1: Yeah um I, I think that a lot of our conflict uh, I'm, when i think interpersonal conflict right now more than ministry but it relates mm. to ministry is that sure. that there's selfishness and pride that's a, mm. a part of it and so in the midst of con- conflict you know we kind of have to humble ourselves mm. with each other and truly seek the best for each other or for the ministry um you know, and as we do that, there should be less conflict, but I don't think we're ever uh, now. I used to think that, you know, you could avoid conflict. But I I, I think that as I've grown and as I've um, felt the pain of avoiding conflict, mm-hmm. that I've realized that conflict is going to happen no matter mm-hmm. what. Yeah. And um, it can be good. And it can be bad. I mean, it, it really can destroy relationships. It can destroy ministries and those kind of things. So it's not mm-hmm. to be taken lightly. Right. Um, but I guess, you know, from a uh, perspective, I, I'd like to use the conflict to to grow, to be better in mm-hmm. whatever situation. And um, so, um, you know, right now, uh, AGW, Assemblies of God, World Missions is doing uh, – prayer and fasting and yeah. um, not, I don't know how ever, much everybody's a part of it, but uh, this last week, Andy Rotz had wrote the conflict within the church has been here since the beginning. Mm. It doesn't make it right. Uh, but the Lord gently rebuked me and said, just expect it. Mm. And then he's talking about Paul writing to Timothy and um, Paul saying, just expect it, but discharge the ministry to which I've entrusted you. Yeah. So this is Andy continuing in his mm-hmm. post that day he says, so my word to you today is this, there will be conflict on your team. Get used to it, mm-hmm. work to resolve it, but never let it remove your passion to faithfully do the work to which he has called you anointed you and given you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't like to hear that. No. <laughs> you know, I don't want there to be a conflict. I, you know, I don't want there to be those kind of problems. And, you know, the, uh, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you know, he had conflict with religious leaders um, and he wasn't afraid to confront or rebuke right. the disciples and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and Deanne Turley had posted uh, a reply to Andy's thing, just saying, quoting uh, Patrick uh, Lencioni he said, a conflict is an opportunity to get better. Mm. And so uh, I guess the thing that, personally avoiding conflict has not reduced the amount of conflict in my life mm, or ministry yeah. and you know i can i can say that in several cases avoiding conflict has actually increased conflict in yeah. that relationship or at least internally in me so you know i'm walking around with that lump in my throat not in my stomach mm-hmm. Whether or not the other person is or not, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't know how they're avoiding it. it. Yeah. But uh, because I'm avoiding it's not. And so as I look back on several of those, if I, I think I could have been proactive Mm -hmm. and it diminished the amount or the intensity of the conflict. And so some of the thoughts that I have about that uh, when I was thinking about it is that um, relationships matter. And and Jesus said uh, in John that the command he gave us was to love one another. And um, sometimes the most loving thing we can do for somebody is to confront them. Uh, it, it took marriage and parenting to, to come to that point for me. Yeah. Uh, and I can't say that I'm still very good at that. And mm-hmm. I will probably not confront if I don't have to. Uh huh. Um, but, you know, when you're disciplining a child, you have to confront certain things. So, yeah. Um, but I, w- I think out of that, too, um, some of the the root causes for conflict to me uh, is that we are broken people. We're yeah. not perfect. We're, our ministries aren't perfect. Our churches aren't perfect. And it's one of the things that I like about the Bos- the people here in Bosnia and Herzegovina, especially in Sarajevo here, is that the people are broken and they know it. So mm-hmm. they talk openly about their PTSD. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, PTSD, the anger comes out sideways and mm. uh, you don't always, you're not necessarily the person who's the source of the conflict, but you might get the get brunt the- of
0: it. From the result from of some other conflict, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but that being said, uh, there's conflict in the relationships and in ministry. It's just normal. It's just part of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, I remember being in a, a staff meeting about a year ago. There were some things that had been said, and uh, they were – a task had been delegated to somebody, mm-hmm. and they thought that they had had the authority to do something. They had done something; somebody had uh, opinion had been asked, mm. but it hadn't been used. And okay. it came out, you know, it's like I was wanting to crawl underneath the chair. I can't, <laughs> I can't get out of this room <laughs> right now.
0: There's too much conflict. Yeah, there's
1: two. It was thick, and oh, at man. the end, uh, the the person who. I would say, I don't know if this is the right term, but who was in the wrong said, I didn't intend it that way. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Mm -hmm. And the other two members were like, yeah, you know, and we went on with the meeting it's like, it's like, we just had that thing that I don't think I would have ever, ever seen in the, in the United States. And uh, you know, Poland is a much more forward, frank culture than the American church culture. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, so at, at one point in, in the last, uh, well, two points in the last 15 years, I've actually sought professional counseling mm-hmm. to deal with things. And I remember the first guy, uh, telling me that I needed to work on assertiveness and aggressiveness. And they're like two things that are really hard for my personality to go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but he was trying to give me exercises to try and do that. And, uh, It's just really hard, you know, and uh, some of the some of the differences are actually gender differences that Mm -hmm. males and females process things differently. And I think about that when uh, SFC has many female leaders, but Mm -hmm. most of the pastors are men. Ah. So, you know, just like in a marriage, you know, you you have differences and conflicts going to result in a marriage. You're a little bit more committed and there's more trust maybe to help it happen. Yeah. Um, but in the U S evangelicals see conflict as not Christ-like, right. uh, you know, so we, you know, we actually kind of affirm conflict avoidance instead yeah. of that. And I think it's been to our harm in a lot yeah. of ways. Um,
0: the idea of almost like if, if we're really good Christians, there wouldn't be any conflict. We'd all just be, do, do all the right thing and all have be unity and there wouldn't be any problems. Right.
1: Yeah. And I have bought into that. You know, Jesus is nice. Jesus yeah. was nice. You know, yeah. it's like, but then when you start really reading the gospels, you see that, well, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. He was nice to the sinners. You know, he was, he had, I think he has equal grace for the, the religious people. His grace was just confronting them because mm-hmm. he knew where it was taking him. So I, I see, you know, broken people. That's one of the roots. Um, personally, poor time management skills has Mm. also been a a source of conflict. Uh, Mm, Not managing my time well. uh, So not doing things when they needed to be done or when I'd said they'd be done kind of creates that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, John Maxwell was somebody I read 20 or 25 years ago, but he had a said a lack of planning on your part does not justify an emergency on my part.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. And so, you know, uh, I've written several emails to that extent. It's like, you know, I didn't plan well. I didn't do this. Uh, yeah. And it it's, it doesn't justify an emergency on your part. I'll take the the brunt for, yeah. you know, my failure that way. But um, pastors aren't always, you know, they're more relational. They're not necessarily good managers or administrators. Mm-hmm. And that can create some conflict um, yeah. for people in that way. And yeah. I think unmet needs is another source Mm. Uh, however, I don't think sometimes we express those needs. And so, uh, you know, that can unmet expectations. And for me, these two kind of come together, uh, that they're going to create conflict. And, you know, early on in a yeah. marriage, you have those kind of conflicts that happen because you come into marriage without having thought to talk about some of those topics. Yeah, And it's like, Oh, well, I just thought we would spend Christmas with my family. You know, that's kind of a light one that probably gets talked about. But it's, you know, if you have expectations of things going one way, but reality is you have two different sides going two different ways, it's going to create conflict. And uh, I think oftentimes in student ministry, when Mm. we want to reach the campus, but we want to be part of a local church. And how do we... You know, serve in a local church, but not neglect the campus, you know, and that's mm-hmm. where our passion is. That's where we really want to be. Uh, actually, I thought Curtis and Amy Denton, the the very first podcast, Curtis did such a great job of uh, talking about how the as they had gone through some of the conflicts and the potential crises there in Italy. Yeah how that their heart of submitting to the pastor and to earn their trust or their respect, and then to have a platform to speak from later had actually worked well for them. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of, uh, cultural differences are huge. Yeah. Um, you know, Anita, several years ago at connect, uh, back to back years was talking to us through some of the cultural differences and, uh, mm-hmm. the get Hofstede stuff. And, uh, I had a bookmark on my uh, computer for Poland versus US about just how we're so different because so many times I had to go back and look at what are the cultural differences and why are some of the conflicts I'm feeling Mm. inside of me that are cultural ones. And so the Polish people were just being Polish. Um, And um, one of the things that I've, learn to appreciate about the eastern european cultures which are more confrontive they're more open and forward is just that you you know what people are thinking you know how yeah. they're feeling they yeah. they don't hide it and i think the american evangelicalism is like you know we hide our feelings we don't let people know when something bothers whatever and that actually adds to conflict instead of um, yeah. creating a, So, um, I think another thing too, that I've seen is that, uh, expectations, they're not just unmet, but they're uncommunicated. Right. And so, you know, like not to pick on a pastor, but a pastor of a church wants uh, your students to be involved in his church and he wants to support your ministry, but there's some uncommunicated expectations that kind of can, um, come up unexpectedly uh, because they're doing something special at the church, but they expect you to drop your main weekly meeting or something like that to be a part of it. And that can create some conflict. If it's not been communicated ahead of time, you know, what are we going to do in these kind of situations? And um, I think what that kind of takes is it takes a, a lot of commitment on our part to build a relationship and to have an ongoing relationship with the pastor or, or with a leader mm-hmm. about, you know, how are we doing, you know, just kind of doing some uh, check-ins every once in a while, you know, mm-hmm. can open a can of worms, too, because they could dump yeah. all the unmet expectations that, that they you didn't know they had. Uh, but if, if there's a, a mutual trust and a mutual desire to have a good relationship there, it can really have... Um, a benefit and saying, okay, well, you know, that's not what I, that's not what I understood. That's not where I thought, but I, I feel like this is what I did have. And so just communicating regularly is, is a, is a good thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So otherwise it can often be, um, we think we know what the other person's expectations are and we think they know what ours are, but we've maybe never expressed them. Directly to each other, what our expectations right. are, and that yeah. can be a conflict that 's just a underlying conflict for us that we we don 't yeah. even maybe see where it 's coming from that 's really good,
1: yeah, yeah, and I mean I, I tie in insecurity is kind of a subgroup underneath that one, you know because mm-hmm. um, i 'm insecure and, and not sure about how to do some of these things, mm-hmm. and um, so my insecurities might actually add to that are, it can create competition comparisons, a deadly thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just looking those kind of things in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any
0: other tips you'd like to share with us? Maybe like something that's like, you are am working to do this more um, specifically, like if I'm having conflict with another person in uh, like a ministry team setting, I think that we're, we're moving more and more towards trying to, to do ministry together as teams and nobody should do it on their own, but that team means um, maybe there's more conflict than we have with ourselves. If we're in charge of it all by ourselves. Yeah. You have any suggestions for us?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's often, we think it's easier to do it alone, Mm -hmm. but we're going to do things better uh, having varied uh, perspectives Yeah. and that, even having different perspectives can create conflict. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say again, one of the big things is communication, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to communicate, uh, stuff about what are our expectations and when, especially when the relationship's starting so that you can kind of clarify some of those things. Um, one of the, uh, marriage book Sarah and I read uh, in the last year or so was by Les and Leslie Perot mm-hmm. and uh, I, one of the highlights out of that that I remember was just the, the importance of empathy mm-hmm. of being able to put ourselves in that other person's uh, shoes oh, that that man. can um, you know and you know especially if we're if it's with a cross-cultural relationship, Uh, Coming from that other cultural perspective can be really hard, especially in the early days of mm -hmm. knowing how they look at the world so differently. Um, And then if it's a like if it's a new team member that's coming on, they maybe have some ministry experience. They have a lot of passion, you know, trying to see the things from their side Mm -hmm. and then also trying to communicate your side without trying to make them think you're trying to make them think like you or mm, get your perspective. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, I think that, so communication is just a, a big thing. It is. Um, but another thought I'd had was just about how, you know, oftentimes uh, in, in ministry situations I'm going to use, pick on the church here again for another example, but Sunday school teachers were always something that was in short supply. And so that's something the pastor always needs. And somebody gets put into Sunday school and maybe it's like, okay, I like the pastor. I want to meet his needs. I want his approval or whatever. So I say, yes, I may be gifted at it. I may not be, but there's no exit plan. Mm. And so, you know, somebody steps into this leadership position and they never know when they're going to get out of it. And if it's especially not suited for them, they're doing something. The people they're ministering to can feel it too, but they feel stuck. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I think in, in student ministry, oftentimes for our small group leaders, we say, we want you to commit for a year or at least minimally one semester, but it gives them an out. Mm-hmm. Now, as as leaders, we want them to stay being small group leaders. We want them to you know to grow into being full time leaders, and all those kind of goals that we might have for them. Um, but uh, if we if we have an exit plan, you know, like let's come back to this at the end of the semester. Let's come back to this at the end of a year, yeah. and and then you know during that time you're having communication about how things are going, what you can do better. Um, are there things that we need to tweak? You yeah. know, if we're asking those kind of questions along the way, um, it can be, it can maybe reduce the, the conflict a little bit. Right. And probably he's not going to get rid of it ever. No,
0: we're not going to get rid of it ever. The, the, a big key being the, the communication, right. And, yeah. and yeah. being able to, to have those opportunities, but you can't avoid conflict and have that communication at the same time. Darn it! Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ah. yeah. Cause sometimes just the communication creates the conflict. It's right.
0: like, oh, I, cause I, while you're
1: communicating that unmet expectation pops up, it's ugly head. It's like, what? Yeah. 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 Wow.
0: That's a lot to think about. Um, I, I'm, you know, just thinking even, you know, I don't want to go into details, but there's always conflict going on a little bit. Uh, some sort of conflict that you're, that you're trying to figure out where, what's the next thing or what, what could be a solution or something like that. So it's, it's good to uh, think about it in terms of like maybe encapsulated what is conflict and how do I deal with these things? That's really good. Yeah. Helps me to think about it maybe as apart from just, oh, here's my situation and how do I fix it? But yeah. um, to think about it in advance, that's really good. Um, so anything else that you would say to a student leader, Let's just, let's make up an imaginary scenario that' that's never happened before. There's a, uh, a student who's become a leader of maybe an SFC group or they're part of a leadership team, and they're having conflict with maybe a, a student or a, another leader because this other person is just doesn't want to get with the program. They're not doing what they said they would do. They wouldn't they're not fulfilling the commitments they've made. And they're at this place of, you know, I got to talk to this person about it. What would you say to them? How would you help them through that kind of conflict?
1: I like this because this is theoretical. This is, uh, (laughs) we've all been there. And if I had to do it over again, I mean, you always are praying about these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, sometimes fasting is a good, valuable discipline to to add in to say, God, I I need your strength in this because I can't do it on my own. And yeah. uh, I think part of it is, um, you know, knowing that you have to have the talk. Um, I think uh, Risa was talking about that in the small group uh, one about sometimes that it just has to happen. Yeah. And so um, going in, I think, first by trying with empathy and asking, you know, how are you feeling and asking them to kind of share what's going on from their side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but say, at the same time, holding to the things on your side that, you know, I, I thought that we had agreed to do this and I don't see you holding up your end. Um, you know, is there some reason or are, are there other things and people can give excuses and from their side, it's, it's a reason. This is why they did do it to us. It sounds like an excuse. Yeah. So that's a conflict. But again, it, Thinking, I guess, if we want to have what's the best for both of us. Yeah. What, you know, if we can keep that. Um, and it's really hard to be objective sometimes because we're so tied into it mm-hmm. that it's hard to do that. Um, Dallas Willard, you know, in his Renovation of the Heart, really talks about the importance of solitude and silence uh, mm-hmm. to be transformed by the Spirit. And sometimes for us, as the leader who's going to go into that, situation just to take some time and say, okay, God, you you speak to me about my part, about their part, and allow God to speak to us as we go into that, uh, that maybe out of that, there would be something that would give us perspective or a, mm-hmm. an insight into how to ask or frame those questions or to be able to say it in such a way um, and I, you know, as Pentecostals, we believe in the the gifts of the Spirit, and sometimes there there might be a word of knowledge that that God would just give us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you know, so many times life is the pace of life is so fast, and we can easily rush past that um, that because we just we need to solve this conflict so that we can mm-hmm. be doing the important things, and we we might miss what's going on.
0: Yeah. It's really good. How I just have so many more questions. Maybe we should discuss it more and more and more, but um, I'm sure we're going to find a solution. How do I avoid? Um, how do I, how do I deal with I want to, to solve this conflict? I want to be able to bring about the best for the other person, but I'm afraid I'm going to no longer be their friend if I do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, oh, if I, if I bring this up, man, and they're not going to want to be around me. They're going to think I don't like them. They're not going to be my friend. That seems like a really hard thing to do. And how yeah. do I do that? Um, maybe even if it's a person that, you know, our friendship's just getting started, but I know that there's this thing that we need to maybe deal with, um, a conflict that's come up or a thing about their life that maybe, uh, maybe I need to speak into their life about this issue.
1: Yeah. I, uh, the very first salt I ever went to, which is basically like a, connect, a student leadership conference. And, uh, Dan Pocota was the speaker. And as he started out the, the night, he the very first night, he says, uh, I want to ask you to agree with me that we can, uh, disagree wow. mm-hmm. and that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think that's a challenge, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, how, how do we uh, disagree with somebody without being disagreeable? And uh, that's where we have to cry out to to Jesus to say, God, help me to love this person the way you love them. Help me to do this in a loving way. And, you know, as, as I learned as a parent, confronting my kids, disciplining them is actually very loving. It's not mm-hmm. always very easy because you have to mm-hmm. keep saying no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. it, it's just a broken record kind of thing. But it's, it's that way in our, these kind of relationships too. And uh, I remember while I was doing my graduate degree, I saw this graphic that was showing uh, depth or strengths of relationships. Mm-hmm. So the one axis was the strength of a relationship and the other axis was time. Mm -hmm. and that you know your your relationship's going on kind of a horizontal line and then Mm -hmm. some kind of crisis or conflict occurs and then that relationship that line deviates it goes Mm -hmm. you know like maybe way down quickly and then there comes a point where that relationship is either going to end or it's going to grow it's going to come back um And so there's a confrontation or some kind of communication that happened. And it showed that over time with that relationship, because it had that crisis and then a confrontation conflict that the relationship actually grew and got stronger as a result of at least addressing the conflict. And then with time resolving the conflict. Mm. And so uh, I I guess that's kind of been one of the goals for me. It's like, or it, it motivates me to say, okay, conflict is worth it if the relationship's going to be stronger. That's good. That's and true. in marriage, you know, we're mutually committed to each other. We're mutually trusting each other. I mean, there's times where there is conflict, mm-hmm. um, but you, it's in each other's best interest to work it out. And unfortunately, in the church and in the world, you know, a, a lot of times people have said it's not worth it, and they just they walk away. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's such good stuff, Curtis. Thank you so much. I think we better wrap up. Otherwise we'd just be sitting here and people would be like, Oh, this is too long of a, too long of a hobby. But um, thanks so much for being a part and uh, sharing with us. And now you've got me talk, thinking about what uh, conflicts I need to maybe not avoid any longer. Thanks so much for uh, sharing that with us.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really good uh, stuff to review, and reconciliation is always worth going after uh, when there has been conflict. And, yeah. Awesome. Thanks Thank so much. much. Great. Thanks for having me, Alan.
0: It has been great getting a chance to talk with Curtis Hobbs today. Hope you enjoyed the SFC Europe podcast. Again, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please visit us at www.sfceurope.org. We would love to hear from you. We're looking forward to the next time when we can talk about another important subject for University Ministry across Europe. That's it for today. Thanks so much. This has been Alan Ambrose with Curtis Hobbs on the SFC Europe podcast.